The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Well, good afternoon. That, of course, Martin Luther King Jr. in what is perhaps one of the great speeches of, uh, well, I, I guess the past, the past, what's it now, 50, 60 years? Can you believe that? That speech was given in 1963 uh, during a, the march in uh, March on Washington. And it's eloquent. It, it's... Uh, it's profound, really. I, I love this speech, and, and I love what he has to say in it. I mean, I, in fact, maybe I'll play a little bit more of it for you. Today, of course, Martin Luther King, Junior Day, we remember his great legacy. Coming up in just a moment, Bob Woodson will be stopping by, and uh, I, I want to take a look today, if we could, uh, just as we start off the show, on the state of race in the U.S. I mean, ever since the death of George Floyd, even before then, really, uh, we, we've seen we've seen tremendous division. We saw the rise of Black Lives Matter. Um, it's been nearly, what, 59 years since Martin Luther King gave that, that I Have a Dream speech there in Washington, D.C. And the dream of his was very simple. It was just that people would judge uh, his children not by the color of their skin, right, but on the content of their character. I mean, that's what this is all about. How did we get to this point in our culture? I mean, you look at the race riots of, of the 60s. You take a look at the division in the country. I think we have personally come a long way. That's my personal perspective. I know many people would probably disagree with me. Um, I, I wish people would look at the content of one's character, not the pigment of somebody's skin color. It's silly. It's ridiculous. That speech has been a touchstone of what many people believe to be the ideal in race relations, a colorblind approach. And it shouldn't matter what the color of your skin is. What matters is who you are, and you were made in the image and the likeness of God. We are all sons and daughters of God. We are all brothers. We are all sisters. You know, we are all we are all one race, really. If you think about that, the human race. You know, what is your character life? If you're honest, are you reliable? Are you faithful? Are you hardworking? Are you loyal? Are you kind? You know, what other good qualities do you have? We should be looking at the qualities of an individual not at the skin color or what their nationality is. Uh, let me share with you a little bit more of this great speech. This is, again, I Have a Dream, and this is Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Yeah. I have a dream that one day on the red hill 
sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. Inside. Let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring. And it goes on. I, I, I could sit here and play the whole speech for you. Let freedom ring. If America is to be a great nation, right? let freedom ring. In the last eight years, just think, think of where we've come. Ever since the shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, back in 2014, there has been just a tremendous backlash against this idea, and not necessarily on on the parts of uh, of whites. There are, of course, still white supremacists around. Unfortunately, racists are never going to disappear, you know, and, and that's a tragedy. But it seems that some black leaders have become outright, I would argue even racists themselves blaming white people for the problems simply because they're white. And one black professor infamously said that um, she fantasized about taking a revolver and walking up to the next white guy she saw on the street and shooting him in the head and then walking away without a care in the world. Uh, There's no words for that. I mean, it's wrong on both sides, no matter what your skin color is, right? So where are we today? That's what I thought we'd take a look at in the shadow of the great Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Where are we today? Where is race in the U.S.? You're more than welcome to join me, too. Maybe you have your own experiences, your own perspective. You can get in anytime. The number here is 888-914-9149. I'm joined right now by the great Robert Woodson Sr. He is uh, He's founded the Woodson Center in 1981 to help residents of low-income neighborhoods address problems in their community, a, a formal civil rights activist, and he head of the uh, National Urban League Department of Criminal Justice and has been a resident fellow of the American Enterprise uh, Foundation for Public Policy Research and has just been just a very eloquent um, and, and, and very profound thinker. It's good to have him here with us today. You can learn more about him and, and the great work they do at the Woodson Center. It's woodsoncenter.org. And uh, great to have you with us today, uh, Mr. Woodson. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you. It's a delight. Thank you. So, you know, uh, I, I love your take. I mean, you, you were, as I said, you were uh, part of the process. You know, you were a former civil rights activist. Uh, you know, I thought after the election of Barack Obama and as we moved forward that, you know, race was not what it was in, 
you know, the prejudice but, but, that was once but, in this country in the 60s. It, today, it seems like that wound has been opened again. How do you read it? Where are we right now? Where are we in terms of race in this well, country? Well, first of all, I think President Obama missed an opportunity to be a transformative figure. The moment he took his position on Trayvon Martin, um, he mm-hmm. defined himself as a part of the problem instead of using his bully pulpit to, to move us further along, he, t- he cho- chose to take the alternative path to become a part of the race grievance industry. Uh, but America is, should never be defined by its birth defect of slavery. Right. And I don't think that we should permit a small group of elites to define race relations in, in, in the present. If you look at the polling, 80% of black Americans polled do not support any defunding of the police. 60% polled does not believe that racial discrimination is the biggest barrier that's keeping them back. I never hear people talking about the suppression of the black vote is the most important issue facing black America today. That they, that, that there is, uh, Delano Spears, one of our scholars, I think defined the issues perfectly. He said that the current racial divide and animus that is rampant throughout the land is being driven by a few elite white, guilty white people who are seeking absolution from crimes they never committed, and some elite blacks who are seeking absolution from injustices they never suffered. Wow, that's quite and, profound. And so this whole narrative is being driven by people, uh, uh, those combined. But when I, I spend a lot of time in low-income neighborhoods around this country, I don't see any Black Lives Matter signs in on those churches or in the, on those lawns. Wow. I don't see any great demand uh, for Black Lives Matter. It is all being driven by the elites who have hijacked the rich legacy of the civil rights movement yeah. and are using it as a bludgeon against this country. And so, there are two groups of people. There are those who are ill-informed and are therefore misguided. And I think information, that's what we're trying to do, can help correct that. And there are those that are ill-intentioned, and they really want to destroy this country. There's been a a major push for critical race theory to be taught there. uh, As you point out, if there's no, and I find fascinating, there's not BLM signs on on churches and and communities like that, because, you know, based on what you see out of the media, you would think everybody from from major corporations like Nike and the NFL and to the NBA, you know, to uh, to small parishes and churches, you know, around the country that Black Lives Matters is, uh, you know, very mainstream. So, are you saying the media has really taken this? A group they of have elites have taken this. this? They have hyped this. I spend a lot of time. In fact, every month we have a gathering of our grassroots leaders community affiliates around the country, every month we gather maybe 80 of them and we talk about the challenges that we face and solutions that we're mounting. Race never comes up in those discussions. Wow. Because the low-income people, they are the ones who are suffering 
the, the consequence of the defund the police movement. When Al Sharpton flies in a private jet to a protest, mm-hmm. Maxine Waters leaves a $3 million home in Los Angeles. Yep. Both are accompanied by security to come and talk about the condemnation of the country. That's the hypocrisy yep. that yep. is allowed to, to fester and, and take apart this country. Bravo. I, I could not uh, agree with you more. If Martin Luther King Jr. was alive today, how, how would he view this? What do you think he would say? He and, would turn and, over in his grave if he saw what they're doing in the name, turning over statues. They even took down a statue of Frederick Douglass in Rochester, New York. I know. I know. Silly. And, and, and what the radical progressives are doing is, when I'm talking about hijacking the civil rights movement, in, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, mm-hmm. when they were rioting and tearing down black businesses or destroyed, but they quickly migrated to condemn the nuclear family as Eurocentric and therefore racist. That's what Black Lives Matter did. They also condemned the Christian cross as being a symbol of white supremacy. Wow. So they made their intentions very clear um, in, in some of their actions, and yet we still have major companies like Nike and Walmart uh, embracing this race grievance narrative to the detriment of this country. Wow. So, you know, you've been in the fight for a long time. I mean, what can we do? I mean, where are we? I'm shocked at where we are today, to be honest. I thought we have, would have moved beyond that, but what can bring the greatest healing to this divide right now? What's it going to take to to get our country right? Well, what we're doing at the Woodson Center, we believe that there has to be a new alliance, a strategic alliance between low-income people who are, whose children are being slaughtered in these cities. In fact, what the Woodson Center is doing, we're bringing a coalition of mothers, uh, to uh, united to save our children, because America is in a moral and spiritual freefall that is causing it to consume its children. You're right. You have suicide rates among affluent communities in Silicon Valley. The suicide rate among teenagers is six times the national average. Wow. In low-income Appalachian families, it is the deaths are occurring from from prescription drugs, and it's homicide in urban centers. So we have brought together a consortium of mothers across the racial and class divide who are uniting to come up with strategies to save their children. And I think we, we believe that uniting to mothers to save children will provide a more compelling narrative than the race appeals to race. So uh, what this Woodson Center is putting together a campaign, you'll hear more about it this spring, to really push the whole issue of race off of the table. So we can come together and united in the salvation and saving of our children. 
Amen to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to your take, too, on a couple of things. You know, one of the problems I think we have in the culture, and it goes across races, but we see this in particular within the African-American community, um, a breakdown in in uh, in the family, in particular of uh, heightened fatherlessness uh, within the community. And I wonder right. how that, that plays out. Then secondarily to that, um, when it comes to uh, abortion, you know, Planned Parenthood, uh, they have they target minority neighborhoods. Seventy nine percent of their surgical surgical abortion facilities are located within walking distance of either African American or Hispanic or Latino neighborhoods. Those are two other things I think are real uh, problems today. I'd love your perspective. How do you how do you read that? Because I absolutely see what the left um, what the left incorrectly states is that the problems of out of wedlock birth and the de- decimation of the family are legacy of slavery and Jim Crow. That is a lie. Mm. In our essays for our book, 1776 Your Nights, we document the fact that when whites were at their worst, blacks were at their best. One of our scholars looked at the, the, um, the records of six major plantations at the end of slavery. 75% of all those slave families had a man and a woman raising children. Oh, wow. So the nuclear family... Uh, stayed intact for 100 years up until 1960, 85% of all black households have a man and a woman raising children. What 100 years of Jim Crow could not destroy, the poverty programs of the 60s were able to decimate that family, the, wow. the nuclear family, in just 15 years. Wow. 15 years. Wow, and so that that is a re, a, a reality, but that recovery must occur from mm-hmm. in the community, and and this is what we are. Uh, if we say that seventy percent of black households are raising children that are, yeah. are are problematic because of single parent, it means that thirty percent are not. Yep. So it's important what we're doing is going into the 30% of the households to find out how and why these families are intact and what can we do to expand upon these islands of excellence yep. so what is working among the 30% can work among the 70%. You said this all happened in the last 15 years, 10 to 15 years? No, the what? last since the 1960s. Since the 1960s, okay. I've documented this in um, a paper that I did for the Harvard Review, right. I, I give you the, uh, the fact, if you want to read uh, Fred Siegel's book from the Manhattan Institute, his book is The Future Once Happened Here. If you really want to read the cause of the decline in those families and, and how the poverty programs uh, decimated the, the family and, and was a source of of this decline, read uh, uh, Siegel's book. Yeah. So, Mr. Woodson, where do we go from here? Uh, you know, this is the year 2022. As I was saying in the very beginning, we're, what, 60, almost 60 years since Martin Luther's escape. What we have to do, uh, uh, what we're doing at the Woodson Center is that we are starting a major a campaign this spring to really take race off of the table and, and bring together these moms who have lost children to suicide, homicide, and drugs 
and really seek the kind of financial support that people were given to Black Lives Matter. We're seeking major funding so we can mobilize these moms and really begin to talk about solutions and rebuild this country. But it's going to take something on that scale, I think, to push back against it. If we can, if the if American companies and others can invest $98 million in a hate-filled organization like Black Lives Matter, yeah. they should be willing to invest in an organization that is intentions to rebuild this country's moral and spiritual infrastructure. Amen. We're behind you. So the best way to do that, if there is a major corporation listening or somebody who has capacity to help your your outreach, uh, what's the best way to connect? They can connect with the woodsoncenter.org, uh, woodsoncenter.org, the woodsoncenter.org, and you can join us and go on our website. We have um, 1776 Unites is our curriculum, I mean, our series of essays that sold out within two weeks on Amazon, and we've developed school curriculum that's been downloaded 26,000 times wow. and now it's being used in school districts all over the country. So we're, we're igniting a movement um, in this country and, and the central to the success of this movement is to take race off of the table. Amen. Well, we I have got like I... to become post-racial. Amen to that. I, look, I'm behind you a million percent. I'm so grateful for uh, all that you have done, not only through the Woodson Center. I know you've been on a number of different media outlets, speaking truth. And I think we need uh, we need that rationality and we need that voice of truth. And we're really grateful for all that you've done. And I hope people will connect with you. It is WoodsonCenter.org. WoodsonCenter.org. Mr. Woodson, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your insight well, and, and you. for your fight for, for equality and, and civil rights all these years. I'm grateful for it. And thank you for the opportunity. You got it. That's Robert Woodson Sr. He founded the Woodson Center in 1981, and uh, they're still doing incredibly great work. You can check it out. He's an early MacArthur Genius Awardee. He was also the recipient of the 2008 Bradley Prize and the Presidential Citizen Award and they won a whole lot of other awards as well. But you can learn more about him and their great work at WoodsonCenter.org. You know, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr., Alveda King, uh, who's been a friend of this program, been on many times. Uh, I remember seeing a piece that she wrote for the Heritage Foundation. And, and she, she talked about the election of Barack Obama. She says, a black man was elected twice to the White House. But a racism has, but racism, she says, has not, not been erased. There, there's still a lot of people who hold these attitudes who think that people with different skin color or from a different country inherently inferior to themselves. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm a Catholic, and our my perspective as a follower of Christ um, is very clear. The catechism of the Catholic Church, you know, has a very clear statement on this. And I would suggest, you know, if just three things, I think, for your spiritual library. I always say this, the Bible, number one. The catechism, number two. It's an absolute must for any issue, whether it's immigration or whether it's, you know, racism or whether it's legitimate self-defense or just worth it. You're going to find it all in the catechism, right? The other is the Diary of St. Faustine. I just find it edifying. But uh, the catechism of the Catholic Church, let me just share what it says about this and and give you this note. It says, uh, we were created in the image of the one God and equally endowed with rational souls 
All men have the same nature and the same origin. Let me just un- underline that one part of that, that sentence there. All men have the same nature and the same origin. It doesn't matter what color our skin is, right, or where we come from. We're all sons and daughters of God. We are all endowed with those rational souls. The catechism goes on to say, we were redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ, and we're all called to participate in the same divine beatitude. All therefore enjoy an equal dignity. When it comes to race, we've got to look at this through the eyes of our faith, right? It says the equality of men rests essentially on their dignity as persons and the rights that flow from it. Every form of social and cultural discrimination in fundamental personal rights on the grounds of sex, race, color, social conditions, language, and religion must be curbed and eradicated as incompatible with God's design. I just think it's something that we have to examine in our own lives. You know, and if you struggle with this, you need to adjust your vision. And ultimately, you need to ask God uh, for that help. I'm going to uh, take a short pause here. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk more. In fact, I, I want to call you to prayer, especially prayer of the rosary for an important thing. Father Rocky, of course, prays the rosary every night at 7. You can join him for this. He's praying for an end of abortion. We should pray for unity. We should pray for an end of discrimination. But I think we should also pay, pray for peace and particular protection over our country. Right now, we see tensions rising on the border of the Ukraine. I heard in a news piece just a moment ago, it sounds like we're in another Cold War. We'll take a look at that and more. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. It seems that the risk of war in the OEC area is now greater than ever before in the last 30 years. In this vein, we should focus on a peaceful resolution of the conflict in and around Ukraine in compliance with the Minsk agreements and in full respect of the sovereignty, territorial integrity and unity of Ukraine within its internationally recognized borders. All the news and issues that are happening now. One place. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Now. That's right. Putting our finger right now on the pulse of what's happening on the international scene. That was a warning from the Polish foreign minister that Europe is closer to war than it has been at any time in the last three decades. And he spoke at uh, the launch of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Um, you know, I, I don't take these things for granted. I, I don't think those words are empty. In fact, I was awoken last night, believe it or not. I was, you know, I don't even know what time it was. I didn't even look at my, my phone or the clock. Um, and what came to my heart very powerfully was the need to pray for peace in the world. And I don't know whether it was a movement of the Holy Spirit or it was the rumblings of my mind. I, I don't know. Um, but I, I prayed the chaplet and then I started my rosary and fell back to sleep. Um, I think it's so important for us to pray for peace. I, I really do. I mean, there's concerns uh, about, of course, China and the technology and their their hegemonic philosophy. Uh, we've got North Korea firing missiles. We've got Vladimir Putin, I think, viewing the U.S. as weak. He's never gotten over the fact that the USSR has collapsed. He thought it was the greatest tragedy of the 20th century. And I have no doubt uh, that he wants to go into uh, 
that he wants to come into Ukraine. Uh, there's talk of false flag operations underway. Uh, forces are already amassed there. Uh, we are in a delicate and a troubled time. What diffuses that? Prayer. That's what diffuses it. Prayer and sacrifice. That's what the Virgin said in 1917 in Fatima. She saw the rise of, of, of Russia and the Soviet Union, and she warned about the spread of atheistic communism. She gave us a solution. She said, pray the rosary. You know, pray the rosary. Do penance. And that message is just as evergreen today. I think we need to do it more than ever. And if we do it, then peace will come. Uh, I'm convinced of that. Right now, I don't know how, how closely you follow international affairs, but there are tens of thousands of Russian troops amassed on the Ukrainian border. And, and if not more than 100,000 by now, who knows? There might be even more. But, but talks between the U.S. and NATO and, and Russia, uh, they ended in a dead a deadlock. Uh, you know, the U.S. claiming that, that Russia is going to make a pretext for war by a false flag operation. Uh, in other words, they will have, you know, if you know what a false flag means, they basically have some of their own operatives described as Ukrainians attack pro-Russian groups. And then Russia can say, oh, look, the Ukrainians attacked us, right? This is justification for us sending our troops over the border. That's what they want. If Ukrainians don't do it, they'll, they'll attack themselves so they can go in. Now, of course, Russia has denied those claims. They say all they want, this is all they want is an assurance from the United States that NATO, or the U.S. and NATO, I really should say, both, both uh, they, they want an assurance from us that you know Ukraine will never become part of NATO. And NATO will remove troops currently in Ukraine back from the Russian border. Now that, of course, merely means that you know Russia wants to ride into Ukraine without any op opposition, some say. I, I don't know. I, you know. Russia keeps saying they have no intention of invading Ukraine. It's a, if that's the case, and again, I'm just sitting back here looking at it objectively. It's hard to imagine them. Why, why are you amassing troops on, on your neighbor's border? It's, it's also hard to imagine why there was a major cyber attack last week on Ukrainian government websites. An anomaly? No, I don't think so. You know, Newsweek reported that the U.S. has pointed to a spike in social media posts in Russian that back the Kremlin's narrative on Ukraine, which of course follows the pattern preceding Moscow's seizure of Crimea back in 2014, we see the same pattern happening again. So, you know, I, I think it's likely it's going to happen. Uh, it, it might be tempting to rally to, you know, Ukraine's side and say you know, we should make it part of NATO. And there are others who are saying that if we do that, it'd be a big break. That the warring with Russia is not something we want to do right now. Uh, and those critics say, look, we're simply not in a position to pull it off. We're just not. You, you know who says that? One, one of those experts is a man named Dr. Jeffrey Shaw. He's the president of the Alexandrian Defense Group. He's an expert on counterinsurgency warfare. And he's been a great friend of this radio program uh, over the years. It's good to have him here with me today. I've invited him to stop by to give us perspective on where we are, what Russia's intentions ultimately are, and where this could lead. If you want to learn more about him, too, you can check out his website, alexandriadefense.org. Dr. Shaw, always a delight to have you with me. Good afternoon. Oh, thanks for having me again, uh, Drew. It's always a pleasure being here and talking to you. Well, you know, you look at these global events, and I, 
Mm-hmm. It does. It, it motivates me to pray, and it does give me a little bit of pause. There are ties uh, between the Biden administration and Ukraine, especially through you know Hunter Biden, the president's son. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about that, and then let's talk, and then we can zoom out and say, okay, outside of that, you know, where are we in terms of Vladimir Putin and his and his intentions? But I think we should talk about that little seed there first. I mean, is there something impeding the administration, you know, in terms of the, the Hunter Biden connection? How do you see that? Um, possibly, but they, they're, they're <laughs> how can I put this kindly? They're pretty brassy lot, those uh, politicians in D.C. or Ottawa or London, wherever you, they, you know, um, <laughs> they're saying to, to be caught in something, um uh, yesterday doesn't mean that they won't take a completely different position today right. because they're True. they're they're always focused on uh, uh, on power. I mean, unfortunately, in democracies, we seem it's power seems to attract the worst possible people, mm. <laughs> and the best possible people want nothing to do with it. <laughs> I guess that's always been the case, yep. uh, and, and certainly America is not alone in that. We have. <laughs> In a more minute scale, we we're far worse up here in Canada. So uh, we have the worst possible crew <laughs> uh, at the helm in, in Ottawa. But, so where um, where are we? But, where, where is where is the Russia? Where, where's where do you think Russia's ambitions okay. are, 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 are? Well, okay. Are? Let, let's paint a little little background to this first, okay. just for your viewers, so they understand sure. that this is not just a case of uh, two different countries squabbling or anything like that. You have to go back uh, a thousand years, just over a thousand years, to 988. I'm not going to lead us all through all of those decades. 988, uh, Anna Domini, in the year of our Lord. Uh, Prince Vladimir of Kievan Rus, which was made up of Varangians, Vikings, and Slavs. It was a, a growing small civilization, city-state sort of civilization on the uh, Dnieper River at what we'd call modern-day Kiev. They were casting around for a, a uniting force, or he was, that would and bind them culturally and politically together in a single religion. And so he had looked around, he'd looked at Islam, and apparently he'd turned down Islam because uh, they were against drinking. And of course, Slavs and Vikings loved their drink. Uh, he sent emissaries down to Constantinople. And they were so impressed with what they saw with the Christian churches there. They, they, I remember one of them said, or I've read, is that they couldn't uh, tell if they were on heaven, or in heaven or on earth. It was so beautiful. So, anyways, they chose Christianity. So the growth of Christianity in uh, Russia and Ukraine has been united from that day forward. It, it, it was the founding of both. Uh, they're a single symbol, civilization, really, and. And uh, since that time, of course, and as the Russian Empire grew in the East and the uh, European empires grew in the West, uh, the area of Ukraine has never been really united. It's always been caught between. It's a frontier. It means frontier. Uh, it's, it's the land between uh, empires or powers. Uh, it's been caught between three, the Turks to the south, the Russians to the uh, east, and the uh, Polish or uh, Austro-Hungarians to the West. And, and it's divided along religious lines, uh, Catholicism to the, uh, to the West and Orthodoxy to the East, and, of course, some Islam to the South. Um, so we come to this modern day, and, the, and I, I think 
so there's two things at a spiritual level the idea of of ukraine and kiev specifically having weapons in it that could be in moscow in five minutes with nuclear warheads is just a no-go that's not going to happen from both a practical physical point of view and just the idea that kiev would be their mortal enemy i i just i can't see that uh being a going over well in moscow all right so here we are the 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 problem of nato moving uh if it becomes a nato member uh then the odds are of of heavy duty weapons like that uh coming into ukraine and that's what russia is probably the most worried about in many ways they could shore it up defensively by taking uh all of eastern ukraine which is russia speaking anyways all the way up to the dnieper and kiev included or or the eastern uh bank of uh kiev uh, on the dnieper because it's on both sides of the of the dnieper which is a massive river by the way it's um shouldn't be underestimated as an obstacle and it's a good natural obstacle uh that is a possibility if things really went south the more likely thing that i've been listening very carefully to is that they are going to advance their new nuclear weapons uh short range missiles and medium range missiles uh the hypersonic ones all to- aiming at ukraine and uh, western state it-, it will be back to where we were before the imf treaty uh and it's it, europe will be uh, feeling a lot more dicey now um the the poles have welcomed nato nuclear weapons onto their ground there you know there's there's animosity between the poles and the russians that goes way back and you don't have to go that far back to the katyn forest massacre of the poles so uh they're they're all for arming up uh europe uh to uh, nuclearly to counter russia and uh you, the the western ukrainians are are in the same mindset the eastern ukrainians are not so it's it's a real mess when when i listened and and i tried to listen very carefully uh, to both sides rhetoric what, I, what i'm discerning behind the scenes is really russia doesn't want to be drawn into ukraine because it's a basket case it's it's yeah, right. their economy their their economy is just spiraling out of control down down the toilet uh and it has been for quite some time now um when i read their preferred option of course is it to be declared neutral um and if that doesn't happen putin's talking about a military technical response to me that means the moving of new weapons uh towards um European and possibly North American targets. And well, Dr. Uh, Shaw, let me just stop you there for a second because I'm, I'm curious as sure. to his motivation and ambitions. I mean, from the yeah, yeah, Russian yeah. side, I, I can understand. You know, you you don't want Na- Ukraine becoming part of NATO and that brushing right up no. against your border. However, um, is he moving at this particular moment in time because he's looking at the Biden administration after our humiliating departure from Afghanistan. He mm-hmm. looks at the current chaos here and, and, and thinks that the Biden administration and the U.S. Is, is a little bit weaker or vulnerable at this particular time. That could be part, that could definitely be part of, of his calculations. But the, at the same time, well, you know, and I just listened to some experts from Russia talking about, you know, their defense budget is one fourteenth the the size of the U.S. Okay, and uh, 
Now, when you allow for, as I've said many times, and I've seen some of the ripoffs that defense contractors pull on Uncle Sam, you could probably cut that in half. All right, <laughs> you know, five hundred dollar toilet seats for bombers that you could buy for two dollars and fifty cents yeah, at right, uh, right, your local right. hardware store. Yeah, yeah, this this and it. I can't imagine it's got any better since they came out with the B one B bomber. And, uh, um, so you probably cut that into half, maybe even a third. But this U.S. still has the ability to um, withstand an initial you know, um, military loss and, and still come back with, with something conventional that they can't answer to. Initially, the U.S. would lose. Uh, I mean, I was listening to Scott Ritter, who was an expert in, from the U.S. Army yeah. and was also a well-known um, uh, negotiator on, uh, on uh, uh, weapons reductions. And even he was involved in things like uh, missile treaties and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he was saying, yeah, the U.S. can't, it would take it literally weeks, if not months, to get the kind of armored brigade going, uh, and brigades going in uh, yeah. Eastern Europe to counter any Russian armored move. So you, in a conventional situation, no, they can't counter. It's, right. it's, it, you'd have to go nuclear, and Russia has said what, their standard position is now don't count on uh, on uh, you know, uh, first strike, second strike, blah blah blah. They said right. if one nuclear weapon lands on Russia, we're letting loose with everything. Wow, they, that is the that yeah. I mean, that means well, wow. game over for the yeah. at least the northern hemisphere. Yeah, no um, kidding, doctor. Let me hold you on that thought because I've got to take a short yeah. pause here. When we come back, let's pick sure. it up. We'll talk more. If you want to join us, I only have Doctor Shaw for a few moments. He always has a very enlightening look at the Russia and, and a lot of these geopolitical uh, affairs and where they can ultimately lead. China's a player in this, too. What if China and Russia align? Uh, you can get in, 888 Our conversation will continue. And, of course, the Chapel of Divine Mercy is about 10, maybe 15 minutes away. Hey, today we'd like to thank Mary, who's listening in Minnesota, for donating her Honda. And you can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. The Drew Mariani Show. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Faith over fear. Hey, thanks for joining me today. It is always good to pull back the veil, take a look at life through the eyes of our faith and shine that light on events that are taking place, not just at home, but abroad. And I go back to 1917 to the call of the Blessed Virgin Mary to those shepherd children in Fatima to pray, uh, pray in particular for the conversion of Russia. The kids in Fatima, when they had this vision, they were so young, they were 10 years old, you know, they were little kids. Um, they didn't even know what Russia was. They thought it was somebody's horse. <laughs> they thought Russia was a horse that somebody in their community was at. Uh, they didn't realize, you know, what would happen. And true to the prophecy of the version, Russia clearly uh, rose in power. It spread uh, atheistic communism, became the USSR. And we saw the Cold War. We saw the fallout from all that uh, that followed. But what was it that defeated it? Uh, you know, not a bullet, you know, no nuclear weapons. Uh, There's a lot of things that happened, you know, strategically, financially, economically, politically. But I'll tell you what really made a difference. It was the prayer of the rosary. Uh, after John Paul II consecrated Russia on March 25th, 1984, uh, literally within months, you can count them, 
the Iron Curtain collapsed. And and look, is there still communism around the world? Yes. Do we still need to pray? Absolutely. Are we seeing Russia now becoming more aggressive? Sure. You just heard my guest today, Dr. Shaw, say that, hey, one nuclear weapon falls on Russia. They're, they're letting the load go. And to his point, say goodbye to the Northern Hemisphere and how that would impact the world. Hmm. Pray to God we never ever see something like that. Dr. Shaw, it's good to have you back. Thanks for being with us. Always good to talk with well, you. It's, it, it's good to be back, yeah. And, and I'm uh, go, returning to Fatima uh, just for a second. Sure. And the, the, the Blessed Virgin's um, concern expressed to those children was, of course, that the errors of Russia mm-hmm. would be spread to the world. Well, unfortunately, because that uh, consecration wasn't done in so Till so late, those errors spread, right. and uh, you know, and I, I, I think the Very biggest true. concern from that heaven seemed to express was the assault on the family that would come as a re, out of that atheistic communism, and that's what we've of course experienced in the West is the assault on the family, which is, a, you yeah. know, that undoes everything. It's uh, you know, it our adversary, um, you know, he's no fool. He he knows humanity's weakness and he yep. he heads for that all the time and it, it's it's the families under uh, you know well, under attack along with the church of course that's what sister so lucia that's that's what sister lucia said too just on that point about the family yeah. you know, the final confrontation yeah. will be over over family and and marriage yeah. let, let me grab a few calls here and then you can work in your other point there too i, I, I want to get Teresa because sure, sure. she's got some uh, there's a few really great questions here for you Teresa's listening in illinois or Teresa, i should yeah. say hi Teresa. you're on the air with dr shaw Hi. Um, I, I have a question because, um, uh, because I've been to Russia and the Soviet Union before, and, yeah. um, you know, atheistic communism does not rule uh, Russia anymore. And um, so I, I listen to, to Putin, you know, occasionally, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I heard him speak, and I think um, Patrick Madrid reported on this, uh, a, a small, a small section of his speech at the Valdea conference in uh, Europe. So, uh, what I hear coming from the Russian side is that they're concerned about the West taking, uh, having taken over Ukraine. And a friend of mine who's from Ukraine told me several years ago when. Um, uh, when the Russian government came in and took over, uh, what do you call it? Uh, they have, it's a holiday place, you know. Um, the Crimea. The Crimea. Thank Crimea. you so much. Yeah. Anyway, so, and he made a joke, and I looked at him, and, and then he said, no, they're actually uh, after it because it has the largest, largest radar, radar in the European area. Uh, so what I want to know is, what was the agreement that was made between the West and the Soviet Union as it was collapsing uh, concerning um, NATO expanding? Because that's what Putin and the Secretary of Defense, uh, I think he's talked about that too. Um, They say that this this is what the problem is. They say this is why we have soldiers at the border. Yeah. No. So uh, that, comment on that um, because I can't. Sure. I wasn't following that thirty years ago. Well, that ties in directly to what we're 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 talking about now. Yeah, and that's why Russia wants uh, in the say 
writing in a public, they want it in a deal because NATO under the U.S. did make the promise that they would not move one inch, one inch further east. That was done after their, uh, with Gorbachev and, and, uh, uh, who was the Secretary of, uh, I can't remember his name, but the Secretary of Defense, and, and he gave that guarantee from the President that they would not move one inch further east. And of course, that's been proven not true, and of course yeah. that set off alarm bells in Russia, uh, and, and has continually, but they thought, okay, well, we've got time, we've got time, but the, the, why they didn't worry so much about the Baltic states as they as they went NATO uh, was they're so small and and it's easy to defend against them and the terrain through there is is difficult to to move massive armies. On the other hand, just as the Russians experienced in the Second World War, the place where you if you really want to do mass conventional armor attack, it's through Ukraine. It's the perfect country. And hence their deep, deep concern about that mm-hmm. from a strategic point of view. Yeah. Um, and getting back to um, your your listeners' um, other point, yeah, no, Russia right now is building more churches than anybody else in the world. Um, the, the atheistic communism, while there's still a rump, very tiny communist party in their in their parliament. It has no power, and it's just a bunch of uh, um, old old hacks who, who just won't say die until they literally do leave this earth. Um, but Christianity is 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 certainly uh, well ensconced there, and indeed, one of their concerns, of course, is again about, they talk about this, about the family all the time. Right. Putin just made an announcement of what... A week or so ago, about uh, he said, "No, the family isn't um. It's Papa and Mama. It's those were his exact words. It's not any of these other configurations. It's Papa it. and Mama. <laughs> I love it. And 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 it. that has, of course, driven the the woke elites in the West bananas. And uh, so I do think what we're seeing here's the irrational element, and this is might might take some of your uh, listeners by surprise." The truly irrational element in this is not, uh, and, and I would say hatred, is not coming from the East. It's coming from our elites in the West. Who And, and we've, I've, we even had a Canadian Prime Minister talk about this, that Russia is ruining all the, dire- the direction that they want to go, i.e. with the family, with the, wow. this whole woke woke uh wokeism and there's there's a real hatred against russia that way and their and their traditional family hey, hey doctor i only have about a moment left i'm curious roddy sure. who's in chicago is asking a question he says look russia's just acting defensively nato's encircling them how do you respond to that uh well you know what he's he's not far off the mark and 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 uh yeah, we're, we're so used to, you, you, we really need to put behind us the idea, no matter what Putin says about the, you know, lamenting the loss of the Soviet Union, that Russia and the Soviet Union are the same thing. If anything, they are representing a, a bastion of Christianity, at least as a, as a world power, when the powers in the West are representing bastions of atheism. And I'm not calling yeah. Americans or Canadians an atheistic people, yeah. but their leaders certainly are. Doctor, I want to thank you. I can leave it right there. AlexandrianDefense.org. You can learn more about him there.